Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Each week, we explore questions of faith, community, and identity. This is Nava Matthew. And Dur Lore. Your hosts for this season. In this season, we are going to dive into the difficult and complex task of being a part of a community or multiple communities. Thanks for joining us. All right. Well, we are excited to be here with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Dur. We also have with us Malba Matthew. And uh, we thought we would start off with just introducing ourselves, letting you get to know a little bit about who we are. So I am a 1.5 generation Hmong American. Since we're both Fuller alum, we thought we would share uh, the programs that we did at Fuller. So I finished with an MAT, now living in the Twin Cities, Minnesota as a uh, bivocational pastor. We thought we'd ask the question, what are you doing for fun during this pandemic? So I've got two young kids. What I've been doing for fun is a lot of walks, a lot of uh, just being with the kids, and I'm not missing anything with them right now. Every new word that they're learning, every new idea that they're uh, getting, you know, I, I get to see it all. So how about you, Melba? Yeah, I am uh, first generation, technically Indian American. I came when I was very young, just three months old with my mom, and we came from a part of India called Kerala in the south and have been living in California my whole life. And I moved from the North Bay Bay Area to Pasadena to do my program at Fuller, which is the marriage and family therapy degree, a master's degree, which I graduated in a few years ago now. And right now I'm working as a associate marriage and family therapist at a private practice called Amada Psychology Center, which is a really great um, and unique practice that I'm proud to be a part of founded by four African-American psychologists. So mm. I'm seeing clients right now as a therapist and um, enjoying that because I talk a lot uh, over video calls. That's how I do my job now. I try to, I'm trying to do more reading now during this time, um, get my eyes away from the screen and then trying to go outside, go on walks. I am just really enjoying the opportunity to use my ears, my eyes, um, appreciate nature right now. That's been life-giving to me. Actually, I'm just curious. I'm sure people have been asking you this too, but seeing your clients online versus in person, is there a big difference there? It is different in the sense that I can't observe their body language as much. And that is an important part of communication. But other than that, it's been pretty seamless. And I'm glad that we have that option to stay safe while continuing doing the work that I started with my clients before the pandemic. Yeah, it, it's better than nothing <laughs> or actually doing, you know, therapy with masks on that would definitely not work as well. Right. Wow. Cool. Well, as, as we're mentioning, we're excited to host this new season. Melba and I both feel like we are honored to be a part of the uh, Asian American community and voices that are not typically represented as a Southeast Asian and as a South Asian. So Melba, anything you want to add to that little piece? Yeah, I, I think it's really great that we have this opportunity because both of us feels like we identify with being Asian American, but sometimes, you know, that gets confusing when we are also not all the time centered in the conversation or what people would normally think about with Asian American. And so being Southeast Asian, I think this is great that we could be, represent ourselves and help diversify 
bring people's awareness towards the fact that Asian American is diverse. With that said, we hope that we can share a little bit more about our stories. Um, but what is what we want to focus on for this season is the topic of community. And healthy community, you know, offers a sense of belonging, of acceptance, being known and understood. That's also part of our goal, I think, too, with being hosts that we can be known and understood too in this in the larger Asian American Christian conversation. Absolutely. So to kind of get into it a little bit more, we tend to form our communities along specific lines, right? We know that, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally to achieve those hallmarks, right? Of feeling like we belong. And some of those lines include, but aren't limited to racial and ethnic labels, the degree of acculturation, language, generational divides, and, and there's plenty more that we can think of and that we're excited to delve into. Yeah, so throughout the course of this series, um, you know, we want to be examining and exploring the various ways that Asian Americans have formed communities along these lines, um, as well as the assumptions that might be embedded within them that we might often miss. You know, we just naturally gravitate to people who speak the same degree of English that we do without thinking twice about it, right? Um, for example. Uh, and so the challenges of being part of these communities, all, all of this is what we hope to unpack and dive into more for this series. We'll also get to hear from various guests uh, to learn how they've defined and operated within their respective communities um, and how they managed to, to cultivate it and what are the unique challenges for them as well. So uh, Melba, I'm really excited to be uh, diving as your co-host for this series. Yeah, me too. This is a question that we wanted to address just to kind of kick off the series. What are the community values that we're seeing come forth right now? And what is happening right now? Do you want to speak to that a little bit, Melba? Yeah. So right now is definitely an unprecedented time. We are a few months in to staying at home and observing several other public health ordinances or measures to help fight the COVID-19 virus. I think we are at a time now where things are changing constantly as we're getting more updates about what is safe, what is not safe, you know, how much the virus, the rate is going down or up, and we're all paying attention to that eagerly. And that is something that, yeah, started a couple of months ago. And in the middle of all that, we also had several incidents. Unfortunately, it's not an anomaly, but another situation where we had observed the death of an African-American, not just one, there were a couple, um, male and female. And so that also has been affecting a lot of us in a, a great way, in significant ways. Yeah, I've been calling it the valley within the valley where we are obviously in a pandemic and then in the midst of that we see all this anti-black racism first we see the anti-asian racism you know hit us and then we see the anti-black racism and we're just wondering like how deep is this valley going to be yeah. right at this point that's what i'm wondering uh, but the question we're asking then is what are the community values that we're seeing come forth right now in a time such as this. So as a South Asian, as a Southeast Asian, and you know, we wanted to kind of sketch out real briefly, just like 
What are some common values, just to, just period, that we might see in Asian American communities? And we thought one of them is a value of humility, right? Mm-hmm. I think Asians value just kind of not being prideful, but hu- being humble in the sense of uh, even to the degree of, you know, I think our parents having a false humility even, right, and talking down on um, our skill sets as if, oh, you know, they're just, they're a pretty average violin player, but really the, <laughs> it's like he or she's an exceptional violin player, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, so there's that value of humility. And then there's also value of responsibility. Is it, do you see that as tied to humility, Melba, or do you see that as different? Or Yeah, I mean, I think responsibility for yourself is one like what do you do with the talents that you're given you know for your education responsibly for your family that that applies in so many different facets one thing i was thinking of was also a value for for hierarchy that's what was coming to mind for me yeah knowing your place and respecting authority um, and that comes with humility right how that manifests depends on where you are and you know in the hierarchy yeah so how do we see these two things uh, coming to or manifesting in this time amidst uh, Black Lives Matters, amidst the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, I feel like humility is a tricky one because I appreciate, you know, humility in general, but then what's the, where do you cross the line of not speaking up when you ought to speak up? Mm. Um, I think that's coming out right now. And a lot of people are feeling the tension of that. It's like, I want to be humble. I don't want to speak out of turn or speak about something that I don't know or fully understand, but then wrestling with the injustices that we're seeing right now too. Does, does humility conflict with speaking out? Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day and she was among American women and she said something to the effect of a part of me feels conflicted on speaking out against anti-black racism because I've been brought up to just be silent as a Hmong female. I've been taught to not speak, right? Especially not to speak outside my turn and to speak in public circles where there are men. And so I think what you're saying is very relevant to a lot of the, uh, some of our Asian American context. Some of some of the women, right? Depending on where you are, um, depending on which circles you're part of. But for this Hmong American woman, this was a, a real uh, tension for her. Yeah, the tension. That I love that word um, because, I mean, one, I feel like that was hit upon a lot in my full experience, too, um, as a Christian, you know, holding the tension between two things. So, Dur, how do you see the value of humility manifesting now amidst, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and COVID-19, the pandemic? Yeah, as a Hmong American, Asian American, um, I think I'm seeing humility mixed in with complicity. I think there's a thin line in in the Asian American uh, setting that I'm a part of. Uh, we want to be humble, but I think in the midst of injustice, it's easy to slide from what we might call humility, slide into complicity. Yeah, I resonate with that. You know, complicity is something that actually I feel like we're being called out for right now mm-hmm. how have we been complicit um how have we been silent before and that's definitely something that a lot of folks it sounds like is wrestling with i do think that there is a way in which you know asian america can 
redefine humility uh, in the sense of, you know, we don't have to, to be in a posture of boasting, but we can, uh, you know, grow in the area of like just voicing ourselves, right? Like mm -hmm. in some sense, maybe growing out of how we've been, you know, parented out of our own family, you know, cultures where we're taught to be quiet and to be silent, but recognizing that and then identifying it as an area of growth. Mm, yeah. And even that is an act of humility, right? Saying like, this is where I need to grow. Uh, mm. This is what I don't know. I, I think I'm seeing more people confess that more readily. And to me, that is, that is a sign of humility in a way that we can, you know, still hold on to that value as a community. Totally. Because the, you know, George Floyd's murder happened right here in Minneapolis, right in our backyards. Um, I'm, a, I'm in St. Paul, but Minneapolis is, you know, 10 minutes away. Uh, my co-pastor and I, we went to a lot of these protests and uh, the, the, the backlash that I'm getting from the Hmong American community, I think relates to this humi humility piece. I'm getting a lot of comments of people accusing me of like wanting to stand out, wanting to be a hero wanting to make myself known, you know, kind of thing. Questioning your intentions. Questioning my intentions, totally. I think connected with that is like, if we're familiar with the Japanese proverb, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. I think that's like in the back of people's minds of like, why is this guy, you know, going out there by himself? I mean, I, I was with a group of pastors, but if you don't know me, then you wouldn't know that, right? And um, this single photo of me holding a sign that says Hmong Americans for Black Lives, it began spreading beyond my networks. And all of a sudden, the majority of people commenting on that photo are people I don't know, and they don't know me. So I think I, I've, I feel like I've been a target of not being humble in my community uh, as a result of that. Yeah. Have people even like said anything along the lines of like, you know, stay home and be a father, like your priority is your family. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely stuff like that. I think they can't see why I would put my body in that place where it looks irresponsible to kind of risk my mm -hmm. safety. I don't know what they're imagining, right? Like at the cost of like my kids not having a father, you know, like I think they're probably imagining the worst case scenario for them to make those kinds of statements. You know, that's tougher. I know you've gotten a lot of backlash um, and you're in the middle of, in Minneapolis, right? Where, where George Floyd, was killed. And so I am proud of you, though, that you are standing out um, and standing up and embodying using your body um, to not to be a hero, but to fight for justice, right? And to not be complicit and not, not to be complacent and silent. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you saying that. I think one of the pieces that I've been processing with people is just another another piece is the collectivism, right? Within a lot of Asian American cultures is this value of collectivism. Mm -hmm. And knowing that one of the officers was a Hmong American, mm -hmm. Tao, the Hmong community felt this collective sense of shame and responsibility, even though we, we've never met Tu Tao. Just the fact that he looks Hmong and his name so sounds Hmong, it's like somehow I feel like I'm partially responsible for that. And I'm not saying that's what drove me to go to the protests, but I felt like I wanted to, to be a peacemaker. I felt like I wanted to put myself in the space to signal to everyone that, hey, um, I stand for peace in the midst of 
this Hmong American cop being present, being complicit as the white officer, Derek Chauvin, had his knee on George Floyd's neck. So I think that collectivism, I think, is manifesting in this way, uh, at least in me in this time. Um, I don't know, are there other ways that in which we're seeing that kind of collectivism happening? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of um, people gathering around their ethnic groups um, or their language groups. So, you know, a group emerged called Malayalis for Black Lives. Um, and I think a lot more other groups are emerging like that to kind of take responsibility. Like, what is our responsibility as Malayalis, for example? That's a language group that I'm a part of or as South Asians. And so there is a collectivism, I would say, around, you know, we're in this together. We need to, we need to band together and, and as a group, what can we do? And there's power in, in, in that group instead of all us working just, dis, you know, disparately and from our own siloed locations. Yeah, totally. Any strength can be a weakness, right? And so for a lot of Asian Americans to be collective in, in nature, um, if we're collective for the right reason, it can have amazing impact, right? Yeah. But if we're collective for the wrong reason, then of course that can have some serious ramifications as well. And I've been, I've never seen so many different uh, ethnics, you know, Asian groups um, go out and stand in solidarity with the black community before. So it, it's been really cool to see yeah. that. It also makes me think of though, like, do we feel responsible for our own people when they you know, are against, right? Like, you know, if a family friend that's Malayali or, you know, South Asian or a relative says something, you know, negative, am I responsible to correct them to speak out? And that that's kind of a heavy burden too that I've been trying to think through. Have you felt that at all? That's an interesting question. Um, for a long time now, I've been hearing, you know, so-called woke white pastors and white leaders kind of put their people in check. At least a lot of black indigenous people of color have been saying to white leaders, you need to get, you know, you need to put your people in check. You need to speak to your people, call your people out. I kind of think we're at a point now where, at least for me and in, in the Hmong American community, I do feel like I have that, that sort of responsibility. Now, if people are being ignorant, I'm not going to take the fault for that. Um, you know, but if, but I'm also not going to let them continue to think that way. So I don't, does that kind of answer like it's yeah I, it, I, you kind of have to balance right find balance like at some point it's like an individual responsibility you got to do your homework <laughs> right I do think I think what I'm saying too is like I do think it is incumbent upon uh, leaders and individuals within the you know however you want to break it down ethnic or racial groups to kind of put your community in check when it comes mm -hmm. to this uh, intergenerational you know, nationwide anti-Black racism. Like, we are the best people to speak to our respective communities, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because it's it can be very nuanced, right? Like, for the Hmong American community and the Black community in the Twin Cities, that's a very uh, specific relationship in history. And so who else to better speak to Hmong Americans about anti-Blackness than, than a Hmong American who, you know, has kind of journeyed in that? Yeah in a way that could be heard and understood. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think we do have a sense of responsibility, especially if you're in a leadership position. You're a pastor, right? Um, 
So does that weigh even more heavily on you as a pastor of a church and a you know, Christian? I think I think in some ways it does. I, if I understand your question, I feel like I have two communities to kind of speak prophetically to, right? And to kind of shepherd. One is just the the Hmong American community that's that are not at my physical church, but a bunch of Hmong American Christians, and then of course the Hmong Americans that are part of Roots, uh, where I pastor with um, the senior pastor T C Moore and uh, Ashita Moore. Uh, we are a multi ethnic church, so we've got Hmong folks, we've got Black, we've got White. So I do feel like kind of you know, like I'm reaching out to multiple, you know, spheres of influence, I guess. So another value I think we mentioned was like connections to family relations, having a deep connection. And, and this, you know, even beyond this time here and now, that's something that um, I think we can observe across different Asian American communities. Yeah, by that, I mean, like, there is a sense of, I am connected to my family. How else would you explain that? So are you are you talking about what does it look like to remain connected to family like during the pandemic or Yeah, and as, as a value in general. Yeah, again, going off of kind of just my Hmong American context, because we're such a clan-based, you know, society, we live close to our family with the same last names. Um we have a really str- a strong emphasis in reciprocity with within the clan. So what that's meant during the time of COVID-19 is, um, here's a real specific uh, example that actually my wife's relative had a wedding and, you know, I don't even, I don't agree that they should so host the wedding in person, but they did. And so the question came, should my wife's sister and her husband and family join this wedding? I grew up with my dad always saying, you know, we got to attend these weddings. We got to go help them because someday we're going to have our own wedding and, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to need their help. So that's that clan reciprocity, right? Mm-hmm. So the dilemma is, do, do they go to this wedding? And if they go, um, it was going to be in the, in the Twin Cities here. And um, the other piece of that is the hospitality piece. Then could they stay with us? You mm-hmm. know, can we house them? Can we host them? And man, being Hmong American, we felt so torn saying, no, we, I think we're going to listen to science on this one and 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 have to say we can't host you we can't host our family right now coming from um, out of state you know we want to protect you we we don't want you us to get you sick we don't want you to get us sick um and that just felt so like it just went against everything that we know of what it means to be Hmong american right to say no to to hosting family to say no to attending a wedding yeah your value for hospitality you know, that sounds like it was challenged. Like you couldn't host your sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, even participating in that wedding and and helping out, you know, from one clan to another, that sounds like that would be challenging. That makes me think of other events or weddings, funerals during this time are so important in, in a lot of our communities. And we're having to rethink and reevaluate how can we go about you know still honoring those traditions and the responsibilities that fall within those traditions as guests or family members relatives you know and still be safe that that's hard i had um a funeral my dad's uncle which in some circles might sound like a distant relationship but in our in my family like that's a very close relationship we even have a specific word for that uncle your dad's younger brother is called Upapin. And so, yeah, my dad, my dad's Upapin passed away in India. Mm. You know, none of his children could go. 
Um, he couldn't go. And yeah, that was really hard for you know, the extended family. And then those that could be there, you know, I, I watched over Zoom on the video call. And I think it's part of our tradition, part of our values to express your respect and love for the deceased person. So the way people would do that would they'd usually kiss them on the forehead, the body. Mm. And in this time of COVID, the, there was a person standing by the body and had a napkin laid across on the forehead that they would replace for each person that came to kiss them on the forehead. Mm. Um, you know, adding that extra step so that they could still, you know, go up to the body, pay their respects, lower their masks, and then kiss them. Wow. Um, you know, weird to see. And also, like, it was moving that, you know, it was still important enough that they had to do that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm thinking right now is just how how much they, you know, have their social relationships within an act like that, that they they want to retain that and find new ways to do that in light of the uh, COVID-19 situation. Wow, mm -hmm. that's powerful. Yeah, I don't know how safe it was, <laughs> but... There were a lot of people in that room and the funeral takes, or the first part of the funeral takes place in the home. Like the body isn't removed. They stay in the home. I guess at times you have to wonder, like you have to prioritize and that making those decisions is really tough, right? How do you prioritize values that can be equally important? So with the few minutes left of our time, I wanted to just ask a question related to Asian American fellowship and food, like specifically within you know, churches that have Asian American demographics, right? So would you describe your church as that? Or how would you describe the demographics of your church? Yeah, the demographics of my church belong to a denomination called Marthama. And so it's primarily Indian. So where I'm going with this, and this kind of just kind of for fun, I think, uh, is as, as a, a community of Asian Americans, or at least a community with Asian Americans, we know that food is such a big part of our fellowship. So how has the your you know fellowship or just gathering in community been impacted without the food right during COVID nineteen I just I feel like anytime I, I go to like a, a Hmong or an Asian American kind of Bible study night it's usually like a buffet you know and it's like we don't have that right now so how are people uh, how are people like substituting for that Yeah, honestly, it's missing, and I think people are missing it. Um, I think there's just like this, you know, we can't do it. And so we're going to have to wait until we can again. We normally have after service refreshments at my church, um, which is a full on lunch. It's not a refreshment. It's like sponsored, you know, meals. And um, all of that is just on hold right now. You know, it's interesting. We did do a Zoom communion for the first time. Okay. I guess there's a way, I mean, you know, it's just, it just the bread and the juice. It wasn't a full on meal, but... Um, it was really cool. Actually, one of our pastors, she had baked the same loaf of bread for all the members of our church. Our church is pretty small. She drove around town, dropped them off, and we all took it over Zoom. So that was really cool. So oh, wow. it is possible to to share, to break bread. Yeah, my church hasn't tried that. Um, we have two like type of liturgies. One is the Holy Communion liturgy, and then another one is they just call it a divine service. And so all the services have been the divine service now. Which it's funny because <laughs> uh, normally, like when we gather together, nobody shows up for just divine services. They only come when it's a full-on communion service. I'm exaggerating, not nobody, but the attendance is much lower. 
Right, right, right. Um, and now the focus has shifted away because we haven't found a good supplement or alternative. Well, Melba, it's been really cool to um, get started here with our conversations on uh, just what it looks like to, to continue to explore Asian American community and our ethnic specific community as well. Um, we're just scratching the surface here, so I am really looking forward to our up and coming episodes, you know, in the future. Yeah, I'm glad we got to start this conversation and touch on a few of the values that we have been able to maintain, some that have been challenged during this time, and hopefully together we can also explore um, some more of those values. Thank you for doing this with me. This is, this is new for both of us. So uh, also thank you to everyone who's listening. We're glad that we can um, join you in community in this way. Yeah, thanks. And uh, we hope to have you join us next time. This is Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in each week as we discuss community and identity. And remember, God loves and embraces all of who you are.